May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be now and always acceptable to thee, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Amen. Our theme for this year, up there, pressing towards the mark, is taken from Philippians. And it has to do with pressing on. In general, the central words of the theme are an encouragement for us to strive on, to yearn for, to aspire towards something, something towards the things of God. It is a positive and action-oriented effort towards Christ and Christ-like things. That is what our theme is all about. Pressing on is a state of continued movement. If we look at the photograph or the picture drawing beside the theme, there are people in motion, moving, pressing on towards something. There is a goal in front of them, something they are aspiring to. That is what our theme is all about for this year. And many of the sermons that we have had previously have been centered on one or another aspect of this uh, theme. We have had the beautiful and illustrative sermon preached by one of our dear sisters about pressing on beyond the crossroads of life. Because in life we will have choices to make. And those choices will guide, guide what we will do after we have made those uh, choices, when we make those uh, crossroads. We have also had a, uh, a sermon on the consideration of the less privileged in our, uh, in our daily life and the care that we must exercise for them as we press on towards the kingdom. Last week, we discussed the Esau syndrome, which is also very well fitted into the, uh, into the theme. The Esau syndrome is a belief, more or less, in the sufficiency of the present, a thoughtlessness of things in the future, and things eternal. It is an avaricious appetite for satisfying fleeting, transient, temporary pleasures in utter disregard for the consequences. That was what happened to Esau when he made a choice of a bowl of porridge in exchange for his birthright. He got some relief, if you like, for things momentary. And because of that, he lost things eternal. May that, may that not be our portion in Jesus' name. Our prayer is that we will all be free of this syndrome, even as we cloak ourselves in the word of God and order our decisions, not according to the flesh, but in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Today, we are called upon to discuss another similar aspect within our theme. And our text for this sermon was, is uh, taken from Hebrews, where we um, uh, read uh, Hebrews chapter 12. I will read it again. Uh, I will just read verses 1 and 2, because that's where our theme is actually concentrated. It says, uh, the King James Version says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. The version we heard was actually taken from a more modern um, translation, uh, and I have it here. I, I, I beg you, we will read it again. The New Living Translation says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, 
and now he is seated and the place of honor beside God's throne. So we see that the cloud of witnesses we read before is now rendered cloud of witnesses with the other description that they are witnesses to the life of faith. That is what really we are talking about. Witnesses to the life of faith. Our examination of the text in whichever Bible version gives us uh, some specific aspects of discussion which we will examine and that will be our sermon. And these uh, aspects are the crowd of witnesses. What it really means. Who are these crowd of witnesses? What benefits do we get by having the crowd of witnesses? The weights that slow us down. What are they? Are they physical weights? Are they things that uh, we are born with? Are they things we must live with? Running the race. What is the race? Where does the race start? How does it end? And finally, looking unto Jesus. Our sermon today will be a discussion of these aspects. Uh, but maybe I won't take it in that particular order. So let us pray. I want you to say after me. Oh God, our Heavenly Father, you have said for me to run this race of life. And I promise that I will run to complete the course. The path is long and sometimes treacherous. Sometimes I get tired and exhausted. And I'm tempted to quit the giving path. And to follow a shortcut. Teach me, Lord, to persevere. To be always guided by your word. Help me to know that others have run the race before. And have through faith overcome. Guard me and keep me healthy. Give me patience when I can't do all I want to do. Teach me lessons while I run the race. By putting a new and deeper perseverance into me. I will run the race you have set for me. I will not stop short. I pray to successfully complete the course. According to your will. For I pray in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. We have seen that St. Paul in uh, Hebrews used the metaphor of a race to describe our life. We are in a race. Our life is a race. How and when do we really run this race? What is the objective of the race? What are the rules? Where is the track? What is the prize at the end of this uh, race? Our life, our entire life, is a race of faith. In faith and by faith. We get to the starting blocks. You know, in every race, whether 100 meters or 400 or marathon, there is a starting block. In the, in the shorter races, you actually have the physical blocks on which you put your legs and uh, push off. On the, for a marathon, there is a line, and you generally line up along the line. But there is a starting point for every race. In our race of life, we get to the starting point only with a belief in the existence of God and in the compassion of His will and His plan for humankind. We get to the beginning of our race only when we know and accept that Christ died for our sins. is risen in victory over death and mediates for us in the unity of the Trinity. That is the starting point. Anything else is preparatory. But there will be people around the field jogging, warming up. They are not in the race. Maybe they want to run. But they are not yet at the starting point. We only get to this starting point when we have uh, gotten to this uh, uh, acceptance of Christ. Without repentance and acceptance of Christ, we are not in the race. Yes, we may be struggling, energetic, but we are not at the starting blocks. We must acknowledge that we are imperfect 
and have sinned. And we must ask for forgiveness from God. We must believe that the death of Christ was for our sins. And that he rose from the dead. We must trust and follow him as our savior. The gospel tells us in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. But have everlasting life. This is our standard Christian statement of Christian faith. We must believe in the begotten Son so that we shall have everlasting uh, life. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who believe in him. That is the starting point of the race. Now, the race itself is a marathon. It is not um, a 100 meter dash. In a 100 meter dash, you prepare and with a burst of energy, you get it uh, over with. But our race is a full marathon. And the lesson in this episode that we've read is telling us to get ready for the travails of a marathon. The stresses in a 100 meter dash are uniform over the 100 meters. It's speed, speed, speed. Speed, speed, speed. But to do a marathon, it is perseverance. Yes, you want to get there quickly. But you want to make sure that you get there. It is perseverance because the path of a marathon is not a level uh, ground. There are ups and downs in a marathon. I'll tell you the story of two marathons. One took place about three weeks ago in Vienna, Austria, where a Kenyan named Eliud Kipchogam, some of you heard the, um, the news, because most marathons, marathons are 42 kilometers long, 26 and a half miles. That's the standard length of a full marathon. And most people have been doing this marathon all over the world in two hours, 30 minutes, or thereabouts. 43 kilometers is the distance from here to Oji River or to Onsoka. And people have been running it. I suspect that even with your car today, you can't get to Oji River in two hours, 30 minutes. Okay. And people have been doing the marathon two hours, 30 uh, minutes. So for the first time, this Kenyan ran a marathon in one hour, 59 minutes and 40 seconds. Less than, 20 seconds less than two hours. This particular marathon happened on October 12th this year. October 12th, 2019 in Vienna, Austria. The winner is, was uh, Elude Kipchoge. I'm sure we all think that he's a very successful person because he has done what people have actually not done uh, before. But before we discuss it, I want to tell you about another marathoner. This is a long time ago. 1968 uh, Olympics in uh, Mexico City. Another East African, this time from Tanzania. I think the marathon is for this uh, uh, East Africa, Ethiopia, Kenya, they're always uh, the people. But this particular marathon, I didn't come first. John Stephen Aquari, I'm not, I hope I get the name correctly. He represented Tanzania in a marathon in the 1968 Summer Olympics in, in Mexico City. While competing, he was jogging at kilometer 19 during the race. He was jogging for positions between himself and other uh, marathoners. And there was a little accident and he fell and fell badly and injured his knee. So this is a journey from here to Nsoka. And at Ugogo, he injured his knee, dislocated his uh, knee. And um, people thought it was all over for him. The winner of that race came in at 2 hours 20 minutes. But what is our story? John Stephen continued running, continued limping. And in 3 hours 25 minutes, when every person in the stadium thought that the race was over, they were actually in the process of giving prizes for this particular race. When news came that somebody was still on the, on the race. 
when he came into the Mexico Stadium, they said there were about 7,000 people only left in the stadium. But as he limped in to cross the mark, every person, every of the 7,000 people in the stadium got up to give him a resounding cheer. Yet, this was somebody who was coming in uh, last. So what's our story? Akwari was a hero of sorts. When he was asked why he continued running, even after it was obvious that he was not going to win, he said that, that my country, Tanzania, did not send me 5,000 miles just to start the race. I am here to finish the race. That's why he continued. And that's why those 7,000 people gave him a standing ovation. He came in while, other, while the medal ceremony was about to, to, to start. But he was still running. Our story is that he ran his path. He ran the path that was meant for him. He ran the race prepared for him. He finished the course with his ups and downs. I tell you, the record of Elliot Kipchoge, the gentleman who did two or three, two weeks ago, will not count as a world record. It's the fastest time that has been run, but it will not count as a world record. You know why? The race was run under artificial conditions. There was a vehicle in front of him, beaming a light on the road, electronically controlled, showing him the pace to follow, so that he will meet or get better than that uh, world uh, record. The path was specially prepared. It was essentially a flat um, uh, terrain. It was this correct distance, but it didn't have the ups and downs that you see in a normal 42-kilometer uh, um, marathon. So the course was chosen, and the time will be an inspiration, but it will not be entered into the record uh, books. Aquari, on the other hand, was awarded the National Hero Medal of Honor in 1983. His name, lends his name to Joseph Aquari, John Aquari Athletic Foundation of uh, Tanzania, training Tanzanian athletes for Olympic Games. He was, um, he's been many things, uh, a sports ambassador to his uh, people. He's, he's a good athlete, he just had a bad run that day, but the perseverance, the story we take away from his uh, activity is the issue of perseverance. To know the race that was set for you, and to run that uh, race. Our own race is set for us by God. It is ours. It's different from the race set for other people. What this means is that we should not be looking at what other people are doing in their own race. Their own marathon may be having a downward slope when we are on an upward uh, slope. So we should not be saying, why is he or she having an easy time? Why am I laboring with challenges? He is running his own uh, race. We are to run our own race. Our path is determined for us by God's word, and we are to be guided by all that is in it. We should never despair or become derailed. It is a marathon. That is what St. Paul is preparing us for. We should not waver. The waver will only see pitfalls in life, challenges along the way, and loss of means or resources. Yes, this happens, but we should not waver. We could have that of loved ones. Injury or sickness, joblessness, lack of spouse or difficulty in childbearing, lack of employment. There are many challenges. There are many ups and downs in a marathon. The truth of the matter is that unwelcome they may not be, but unexpected they are not. We know that they will come. We know that challenges will come. There is no Christian who has not had reversals in his life. But we can be inspired by those who have gone before us in order not to give up and to focus on the prize and to run our race faithfully. The metaphor of St. Paul in describing the race is very apt. In the Roman times, when we think of the Colosseum or the uh, historical artifacts we hear of uh, those times, and the pictures, we know they come in chain mail when they want to do fencing or fight with themselves, whether on horse or chariot or even individually. They carry big uh, face cover and uh, a lot of protective uh, armor. But when they are running their race, they usually divest themselves of all 
these uh, chain mail. They divest themselves of all that they do not uh, need. In our life, what is the chain mail that we are carrying that we do not need? We need to remove all the unnecessary weights. These weights may have use in other times. They may not necessarily be a bad thing. But we need to practice and know that if you are on a marathon, we do not need it at a, at, a, at a particular time. When we are running our race, there are things that we do that, even though they may be good in themselves, excess of them will become a weight and will lead to a sin. If we imagine that any marathon are running along the path, Slowing down to shake hands with his cousin or friend who is hailing him. Bros, you're doing fine. Keep on. He turns back to say thank you, thank you. He is putting a weight, an unnecessary load on himself. He is slowing himself down. You need to focus on what you are doing. You need to plan. You need to prepare. You should do it by preparing. We go on the gym, practice on the road. Eliminate the pounded yam, eliminate chocolate, you know, plan ourselves. That's the, the person who is doing an, a, a race in the, in the tracks. So also it should be with us in our life race. The ways we talk about are not necessarily inherently sinful and evil in themselves, but they could make us lose focus. Are there things that we do which can become a dead weight to us? In our pursuit of the Christ-like life. This may start out as being innocent. And well-meaning. But they soon develop to become hindrances in our race. For things internal. And they must be given up in their entirety. Is there a habit or routine that we think we cannot do without? Be careful. Is it a weekly sports appointment? Such that nothing... Nothing can stop us from going for that uh, appointment to go and watch a match. Nothing can stop. Be very careful. That innocent activity can become a weight in our pursuit for things eternal. Are we so engrossed in our work, our lawful work, which we ought to do? But are we so engrossed in the work, making money for the family? We even have them in our minds that we no longer have time for this family that we are working uh, for. Let us be careful. This contradiction could become a weight for us in our earthly things. Working too long and too hard to the detriment of the family is a weight. God is pleased when we work hard. But it becomes a weight when it takes, away, takes us away from our family. It is not sinful to work or to do other things. I'm just using this as an example. But we must make sure that nothing stops us from focusing on things eternal. On remembering that all we are doing is for the kingdom uh, journey. The the gospels speak sometimes the trans- different translations sometimes speak of weights and sins. Sometimes they speak of weights, including the besetting sin. The besetting sin is the easy sin for us to do because we know that murder to kill somebody is a bad thing. So that's not what we are talking about. We do not need to be preached in order for us not to kill. I'm sure we are past that stage. So we are talking about besetting the sins that start out possibly good. Are we ill-tempered? We think we are just strict. We are just. But gradually we shift from being just and strict to ill-temper, anger. An unforgiving spirit. What about being selfish? Say, no, I'm just being, you know, minding myself. Healthy self-interest. But it could lead to lack of love for others. Lack of concern and empathy. I will not spend on that person because I want to spend it on my uh, self. Spending on yourself is a good thing. But where is the line that we draw? Where do we go over to selfishness and lack of love? What about dishonesty, telling lies, unfaithfulness in business and personal relationships, 
Is it how they do it in your office? So you must know that there is a markup. And you don't want to be accused of not being a team player. I've heard that uh, terminology before. A team player is uh, somebody who does not prevent those who are stealing from the thefts that everybody knows that they are doing. The opposite of team player is an uh, enemy of uh, progress. This man is an enemy of uh, progress. He will always tell. Don't do in front of him. He will always go and uh, uh, tell them. He will never agree for that person who failed to be given the extra mark that they didn't uh, deserve or merit. He will always go and uh, prevent you if you want to go and do something. He is an enemy of uh, progress. And the temptation is there because you could find yourself in the minority trying to speak out, trying to change things. And everybody says, my friend, uh, is he, are you the one who is going to change Nigeria? Can't you see that Nigeria is uh, uh, already lost? Let us do it the, way, the same way we uh, have been doing it before you came. So don't, uh, uh, don't come and preach here for us. Our life should be a preaching at all times. Our actions ought to be a preaching. If you are consistent and you are sure of yourself, after some time, they will know that you are that enemy of progress. And they say, don't go near that man. No. Don't let him see this. Because they know what the action will be. They will stop bring, coming to you to say, can we give you some money so that you can sign what you ought not to sign? They will stop coming. Because they already know that you are kingdom bound and that this is your position and you are not going to um, waver. It is when you start to waver. Sometimes you do it. You see who you think is your own person and you do that um, wrong for. And then others will come and say, look, this guy is also related to us, so maybe you didn't know this other cousin you did. This one, his mother's brother is uh, also our brother. Let us do the same thing uh, for him. So the kingdom lifestyle requests us to, to be firm in what we are doing, to be guided by the word of God. If you go there, you will see the guide that you will use in every aspect of life. Be you a student, be you a secondary school student, be you in the university, be you a worker, be you in the ministry. It is the um, uh, holy book, the, the, the uh, gospel that will guide us. Do we have uh, intemperance in eating? Just food or drinking. After all, I'm not drunk. Drinking, it's okay. Once there's no drunkenness. But if we could lead you to drunkenness, if the eating could lead you to gluttony, which is a kind of lack of love or consideration for others, because it's a waste on you, be very careful. When we talk about these besetting sins, they are besetting because they are subtle. They hide under the cloak of goodness. They hide under the mantle of normality, usualness. We see it in other places. That is why it is the sin which so easily trips us up, as is described by one of the versions. We need to be careful. What about self-righteousness? When we stop all doing all the bad things and do the good things, do we not mark our own books sometimes and say, look, I have passed. I have done it well. Especially when we start to see others who are not doing it as uh, well, who have challenges, who have fallen. Who have stumbled. We need to be very careful. Let us recall the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 18, verses 9 to 14. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Remember that in the days when this uh, gospel was written, when we, uh, was the, the times being referred to, the Pharisees were not bad people. We may, in our interpretation and understanding now, see them as self-righteous. But then they were the people who actually kept the commandments. So, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, 
evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Tax collectors then, and I suspect now, are not the best friends of uh, any person. <laughs> so I hope the people from Board of Internal Revenue understand that we are putting this in uh, some context. Because there are so much um, notices from them on all our gates and festivals. Have you seen any of those notices? Yes. So in the times of Christ, those uh, tax collectors were also there. I don't know whether they came from BIR or Swama or whatever, but they had their own uh, tax collectors. And the people didn't particularly uh, like them because they were collecting taxes for an, uh, an army of occupation. They were collecting taxes for the Roman overlords. So it was like taking money from you to go and give to the uh, uh, people who, you, who en- enslaved you. So he says, not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. And I give a tenth of all that I get. But this tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be Exalted. It is good to do good, but we should make sure that we do not mark our own uh, script. There is a, a, a conflict of uh, interest in marking our own uh, script. We should always leave that script to be marked by God uh, Almighty Himself. We are not to judge others. We are try. We are to do what we can for ourselves. We are to run our own uh, race. Pride, vanity. Self-righteousness, these things come very easily, unknowingly, to us. They sneak up to us, and before we know it, they uh, grasp us. There are things we do which are good, but they are not the point. If our focus is on my dressing, okay, that's, that's not the point. I am, I've covered my hair. Ah, look at that other lady. Uh, some speck of her hair is showing. It is good for you to obey the injunctions as you find them that says cover your hair. But do not judge others. Leave that judgment unto God. If your focus is on the comparison, then you are putting a load, you are putting a weight on yourself. Leave it and run your race. If you wear earrings and uh, or you don't wear, don't bother that some other person uh, wears. We are not told that the Pharisee was telling lies. The Pharisee actually was doing those things he said he was doing. He fasted two times a day. Maybe after eating he will fast, then after lunch he will fast again. You know? He gave a tenth of all that he got. His error was the error of self-justification. He supposed that his works were sufficient justification. And it's the weight of arrogance that is on him. It is a heavy weight. May not be so with us in Jesus' name. If we are tempted, let us remember Isaiah 64 verses, which says, We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rats. So that should help us put ourselves in line. We do the best you can. You run the race. You can come in one hour after the race has ended, but run your own race. Don't look that others have finished. Don't look that others are behind. Run the race that has been set for you. Let us not be so self-centered and passionate with ourselves that every other thing comes uh, second. We should not be so busy that we cannot see pain and suffering in order to lift a helping uh, hand. The Some of these... Um, Sin, uh, 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 besetting sins or weights are acts of omission of not doing things. So it is easy for us not to see the challenge, the problem in them. It is easier to see when somebody has gone to do something that is wrong or say something that is false. But if we don't do something, there's really nothing to refer to unless we think about it.
Because if we ought to do certain things and we don't do them, that also is a besetting uh, sin. And they all are centered around love. The act of omission is a subtle weight. Because we use the cloak of omission to center our love on ourselves and forget others. But God says, we cannot love God whom we have not seen if we do not love man whom we have seen. This is uh, the saying in First John 4.20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. When we love our brother, his concerns will be our concerns. His challenges, our challenges. His worries our, will be our worries. And we'll lend a helping hand for him, even as we run our race. Yes, our marathon must be properly attired. We must remove all unnecessary fats. But we must equally have the correct shoes or vest or sportswear suitable for that uh, race. What this means is that it is not only the thou shall not, which was spoken before, which is easy to see, thou shall not kill. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Those are very easy to, to see. But what of the thou shall? Thou shall do this. Thou shall do that. And the greatest admonishments of the thou shalt that we have is what we read earlier in, in this uh, Holy Communion uh, service, which is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy strength, with all thy soul, spirit, and mind. And thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. It is self-explanatory. We must do the same. If you look at the cross, the vertical one is our relationship with uh, God. Okay? You can see that um, there's a portion of it that is longer than the other. That is God's love for us. And the other one is supposed to be our love, supplication and obedience towards God. But the cross is not complete without a, a beam across it. And the beam is of equal proportion. That is the love between man and man. As you love your neighbor, so will your neighbor love you. It is only when we have this vertical love and the horizontal love that our cross is complete. So let us make sure that we know where we are going. Our text, I told you, um, speaks of witnesses. The class of witnesses. And uh, our text starts with, therefore, I hope I'm correct, yes, therefore, since we are encompassed. The therefore is actually a reference to the things in the previous uh, uh, chapter. In chapter 11, uh, St. Paul was talking, was giving um, solace to the people of, uh, uh, to the people he was writing to, because they were under persecution. They were under great persecution. Some had started to lose the faith. And he now wanted to um, encourage them by telling them that there are people who have uh, also um, done this uh, race before them. And that there are witnesses. So he gave them all uh, examples uh, in that uh, uh, chapter 11 leading up to uh, chapter 12. So it says, chapter 12 verse 1 is part of the preceding uh, uh Verses that were there. These uh, divisions that we have now didn't really exist when the scripture was uh, written. These are our own modern creations so that we'll be able to know uh, where we are if we want to make a reference. So as St. Paul just near the end of chapter 10, he's, he's encouraging the believers to hang on. In chapter 11, he's encouraging them by telling them about other people who had endured hardships but who kept the faith. So chapter 12 verse 1 when he says, therefore, He's telling us that in the lives of these witnesses of the past, we see lives of people that please God. Lifestyles that revolve around the faith. St. Paul tells us that these are examples. If these people could do it, then we can do it too. They are on our team. These great saints of Hebrew 11, demonstrate that the life of faith really works. Indeed, we have before us a great crowd of witnesses who are willing to testify before us that they have lived the life of faith, committed to Christ, and that faith worked for them. There are examples given. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, 
Isaac, who gave up his son Isaac, his only son who will bear his old age in faithful obedience to to God. The summary of these um, heroes of faith is given in uh, verse 32 of chapter 11. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, received promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched raging fires, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weaknesses, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. This is what the people achieved in their life of faith. We can achieve the same. This promise is available to us. This crowd of witnesses are our motivational strength along the way. They are cheering us on. They are beside us across the tracks. We've done it before. Keep on running. You can get there. We were successful when we ran this race. They are telling us, if we could do it, you can do it. What it means is that there is no travail or worry or hardship that we are going through now that has not been experienced by others. Are we sick? Do you have any ailments worrying us? Do what is it that we have, that we want, or that we think we are going through that has been experienced by people? Abraham was in his 90s and Sarah beyond menopause before they were blessed. Are we derided even by the people we are working to help? It happened to Moses. It's our reward for doing good, sometimes a punishment, and we don't understand why. When you do good, and rather than get a good reward, we get a punishment. Joseph was innocent of the accusations made against him by uh, Potiphar's wife, and yet he was sent to prison. The single common denominator in all these stories is the issue of faith. A calm assurance in your mind that you are correct to believe in the Lord and his promises. That no harm ultimately befalls those who keep his uh, precepts. That is actually our message. No matter what the current condition you are going through, you must have a calm knowledge of your relationship with God and be calmly assured that you are right to do the correct thing. You must have that faith, independent of what is going on around you, independent of what seems to be the immediate reaction of others. In summary, because we are getting there, the race for things is in, in the race for things eternal, we come to the starting block with repentance of our sins and acceptance of the death, resurrection, and redemptive power and divinity of Christ. We must attire ourselves properly and dispense with those weights, whether be the habits, beliefs, customs, practices, or actions or inactions that have the tendency to distract our focus and the sin of complacency, self-righteousness, which can make us to run afoul of the rules and parts of the race that we are supposed to run. We must run the race with the knowledge of the word of God to guide our, uh, our footsteps. Christ himself relied, prayed, relied on the word of God, on the gospel. We will have the crowd of witnesses, successful previously in their own race, sharing us on and laying their stories as inspiration for us. Our discussion is almost complete. We only need to do one, discuss one more thing, which is looking unto Jesus. If I repeat verse 2 of, of Hebrews 12, it says, Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12 verse 2. So all we ourselves need to do to have that perfect race is to look to Jesus. In him we see the perfect example of the race run by heroes. Everything is an, a, a trying to words that get bigger and bigger. He is infinite. There is no word as bigger that gets there. So he is the focus that we should 
make sure nothing distracts us from in our earthly race. We can look at his own uh, path because he too ran a human race and suffered travails and tribulations. The pain of Calvary and the shame of Golgotha We are physical pains which we are born by the human Jesus and they far outweigh any human contemplation. We can briefly examine the path that Christ, that Christ Jesus took while on earth, which establishes our perfect example. We read in the Gospels of the extreme perseverance and he showed, fulfilling the torturous and difficult path set for him. This man for whom there was no weight at all, went through on our behalf. Whatever chavez we have are probably chavez we are going to on our own behalf. But some other person went on behalf of others. He who was sinless came and uh, suffered death for those who had uh, sinned. So we need to put things in perspective. They need to, we need to put things comparatively and know that we can do it. That we can persevere. That we ought to persevere. In Mark 14.32 the gospel tells us they came to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John with him. Distress and anguish came over him. So he suffered those earthly pangs that we ourselves are suffering. Distress and anguish came over him. And he said to them, the sorrow in my heart is so great that it almost crushes me. This is in our gospel. This is in our Bible. So he suffered, he who was sinless. What challenges then are on the horizon for us that we think we cannot overcome? What is our response? Do we run away? Or do we capitulate and look for a shortcut? Or do we, like Christ, persevere in the right? full of the word and sure by faith of the truth of our beliefs. The earthly sojourn of Christ involved betrayal at the hands of one of his own disciples. Mockery, a fake trial at the hands of partial and corrupt judges. It is not today that judges started being corrupt. Some of the judges were both accuser, judge and jury. He suffered torture of the most cruel and vicious type. And the execution by a manner that could only have been invented by the most wicked, sadistic and merciless imagination. Because when we say the cross, when we say crucifixion, the medical personnel here ought to understand better than others the physical torture that comes when you have your wrist. It's not your palm. It's your wrist with a metal stick through it. And your feet, one placed on top of the other. And another stake through it. And as you are put up there, you lose the ability to hold on to yourselves. And as you drag down, I am told, your lungs compress. You can no longer breathe out. If you can take in a breath, you cannot breathe out. Excruciating pain of the most horrendous type. Those Romans who invented the uh, the cross for, for crucifixion, they were a breed apart. And they did it in order to set example. It's not that they didn't know how to kill people, who, who, who to offer capital punishment. But you were left there, visible, so that people would uh, see you. And you would suffer shame. Death was almost a relief. This was the, the situation Christ was on. Yet, what did Christ say when he was on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's almost incomprehensible for me that these words could come from somebody under phys- acute physical torture. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, what is our own cross that we bear? And what are we saying? Father, you have seen my enemies kill all of them one by one before they kill me. This thing, this people are doing to me, may they suffer more than I have suffered. 
Or are you praying for repentance of their hearts, for a turning away unto good? Knowing that if you are right in what you are doing, that you are with Christ. Can we look beyond immediate injustice of our own suffering and make sure that we are not swallowed up by hate at what is being done at us? The example of Jesus is the evidence of full and perfect glory of faith. It is especially sustaining and cheering because it has an end story. And the end story is a glorious one. Hallelujah. For the cause he had to run was one of extreme difficulty and danger and suffering. Yet he overcame and finished his course with joy and gained the highest honors. And it was said of him, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The cross is what we have to pass, what we have to endure, what we have to persevere. And for us, it comes in many ways. It comes in different ways. If our eyes are focused on Christ, we will continue to persevere and do the correct things, even until the end of our own race. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we achieve those things which we cannot do on our own or with the help of our friends or family or pastor. Our scope for success is increased as we look towards Jesus. In the end, we will say like St. Paul, Second Peter 4, 7 to 8, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crowd of righteousness and not only to me. There is joy and victory at the end of a life of uh, faith. A crown of righteousness as St. Paul calls it. A crown because it's always visible. It may not have come when we want it or even expect it. But in faith, it will surely come. When we keep the faith, when we run the race faithfully, when we remember the heroes of the past, when we keep our focus on Jesus, we shall be victorious, we shall reach the end of our journey as winners, and we shall have it said of us that we are victorious in Christ. My prayer is that may our lives yield the result of a race well founded, well run, and well finished to the glory of God through Christ our strength and Redeemer.